So uh, this is the, the last full message I'll bring here um, while on staff. Um, you know, when we were looking at the timing as an elder board and I was thinking through when this was, I, I knew the, the last message I wanted to preach would be this one, <clears throat> the one I'm giving today. And uh, <clears throat> it's just, uh, it, it's, it's the hope we have as Christians. Um, it's everything. Um, so this, this whole series, uh, this is the last day of it. Um, I may mention a bit in chapter 17, but it got kicked off with Judas. They had the Last Supper. Judas leaves to go to betray Jesus. And then Jesus, over these next few moments, um, it's hours, right? He's, he starts to say these words. Chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In verse 15, he says, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan who's abandoned. In chapter 14, verse 27, he goes on and he says it again. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. At the end of chapter 15, he talks about persecution coming. And he, chapter 16, verse 1, starts with this whole thing of, look, the possibility is out there. If persecution comes, you could fall away. I'm telling you this to warn you, but don't fall away. And verse 6 of chapter 16, he talks about how they had sorrow in their hearts. He says, I can see the sorrow in your heart. Chapter 16, verse 32, he gives them this awful news. He says, look, you guys, uh, I got bad news for you. You're going to be scattered, and you're, gonna, you're actually going to abandon me in my hour of need, which is just horrible news. And as goodbyes go, this is like one of the worst goodbye moments ever recorded. And, and I'm sure the disciples are like, well, I, I wasn't troubled until you started to tell me I was troubled, you know, and... I wasn't afraid until you kept talking about being afraid, and now I'm all afraid, and um, all these things, abandoned, that's not a good word, like I wasn't feeling abandoned until you started telling us you were leaving, like why are you leaving, I'm feeling abandoned now, um, all of those things, what do you do, what do I do when we start to have our hearts that are troubled, we start to have fear, we start to feel abandoned, or we're in them, not start, we're in it, and in it not just for a moment, but we're in it for years and years, and, and this stupid thing. Um, where do we go, what do we do when it just feels like the world is pressing in? You know what's fascinating? Last year in America, the fencing industry reports this, that they saw a 166% increase in people installing fences at home. You think about last year and how bad it was, and America was like, I'm building me a fence. <laughs> I'm keeping all the crazy out, and I'm protecting me and mine, right? And so it's six-foot wood fences, PVC fences, brick fences around our home that somehow will, will make us feel like we're, we're secure, even though somebody can just like go around it or climb over it. But there's something about it, right? The fence keep out everybody, keep us in. And I just think, what a great metaphor. What a great uh, illustration of what we do when life is hard. Build a fence. That'll work. 
And the problem is it doesn't keep out the things of the heart. Oh, that fences could keep out the things of the heart. Wouldn't that be awesome? Give me that fence. So Jesus, in the middle of these emotions, says something just so simple. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In chapter 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I've heard that quoted at funerals. Anybody heard that quoted at funerals? Like it, it's like one of those verses you always quote at funerals. And, and it's often one of those passages that's misquoted at funerals. Because everybody's like, oh, he's got a big mansion waiting for him. Or she's, oh man, her mansion's like going to be huge, right? And then if somebody's like brave enough, they're like, that guy's getting a shack. He ain't getting no mansion. Um, I've been at those funerals. <laughs> Some of you have been at those funerals, right? You're like, you can't say that. And the family's like, just keeping it real. Just keeping it real. But that's... It, we, we bring in our culture and we bring in this idea of what mansion is and it has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. The word mansion to us it is about... It's about, look what I have and look at my house and look at me, right? That's what, that's what that word means. And that's even how it's used. Oh, they've got a big mansion, which it just means, are we really like going to go to heaven and we're going to keep doing this dumb game of who's got more? Like, really? That's not heaven to me. That's, just, that's what I'm trying to get out of, right? I don't want that. And that's not what this word is. If you look over in verse 23 of the same chapter in 14, Jesus says this, if anyone loves me, He'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. So forever this word was translated as mansion in the English. If you look in the Greek, it's home or it's dwelling. And what that is centered around is not a structure, but relationship. Think about that. I mean, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you to come and dwell, right? The Father is preparing a room for you to come. He's got a room for you. You're his kid. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's got a room. Of course he's got a room. And if you look in verse 23, it is about dwelling. It's about being together. There's two aspects to this whole idea. It seems to be that Christ is trying to communicate, but the overarching theme that he's trying to give these, these guys here at these last few minutes is assurance, hope. He just says it like he means it. He doesn't shout it. He doesn't try to prove it. He just says, look, I know what you're feeling. These are all the things you're feeling, and you need to know I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you, and you're going to come with me, and we're going to dwell together. He says it, and he communicates it in a way that he's saying to you and I, this should really bring you a lot of hope. In fact, this should be so assuring to you 
that no matter what you go through, it just won't touch your soul because you've got hope. You've got hope. Jesus just knew it was true. Two parts of it. One, that the God the Father is thinking of you and I, and he has a room for you and I. He's thinking of you, and he's created room for us to be with him. And I don't know if you're an empty nester or not. You've had your kids leave uh, the home and gone. We have two at home. We've got one that's kind of flown the coop. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, I just remember as a parent earlier on, I don't say it now, but I'm just like telling them, oh, man, I'm going to take over your room when you're gone. It's mine. This is mine. You know, fill it up with whatever I want to. And, uh, and now I don't want to change your room. I don't, I don't want her to ever think there's not a room for her in my house. And my wife's there with me. Like her room is her room, even though nobody goes in there hardly ever. And if I'm an earthly father, and that's how I feel, how in the world does God the Father, who put that earthly father or that earthly mother feeling for our kids, how much greater is his? And so he's reaching even into this moment. He's saying to you, oh, I've got your room. It's yours. You and me. Together. The way it was always supposed to be. The other piece of this is the assurance. And he says this, look, I'm going to go. And and when this is all over, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to bring you with me to be in my presence. It's an, a, such an assurance. It's such a piece of hope. And here's the piece of it that, in reality, um, I would imagine in this room right now, I, I can't convince you of this hope. It is something you have to work out. It is. I can't make you believe this. I can't make you feel like this is certain in you. You're going to have to figure this out. And the, the problem is the only way you go through this path it's just a hard thing, typically. Because I remember when I was in junior high and high school, and I was a Christian. I loved Jesus. But I didn't want to go to heaven. I didn't think heaven was all that great at that point, because I thought, I, I still got dreams. You know? I'm like Ariel singing that song. I got dreams, or whatever it was. I don't know. Um, that was not in my notes. Um, or whoever was dreaming, whatever. Yeah, anyway, I'm just going to stay off of that. Um, but my dreams were I was going to be like this world-famous soccer player, right? I was going to go and everybody was going to know Scott. Or I was going to be this world-famous musician. And, and I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to make love. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be successful and all these things. I didn't want to go to heaven. Not yet, God. I got a lot to do. And that was kind of my view of heaven was not yet. No, I got stuff to do. And then, you know, I'm going off to college and... By the time I'm done with college, I've got a music degree of which it won't pay the bills. And I got no job, and I'm not married, and all my friends are getting married, and all my friends got jobs, and, and I, have to move, I have to move back home, which is such a downer. Like, and my mom, I love my mom and dad. They love me, and I, I, you know, they were gracious enough. I don't know if any one of us was really honest with each other. It was like, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> I don't want to move back home at 21. 
I wanted to go, like, conquer the world or whatever. And then get called into seminary ministry and got new dreams. I'm going to be a mega church pastor, right? I'm going to go do whatever. Um, it seems to me, um, when I started to think about heaven, is when I started to watch dreams get dashed. And I started to experience sorrow. And then I lost, I watched my wife lose her mom. And all of a sudden, heaven was different. And all of a sudden, this earth and all the pain. Was, how long do we have to be in this kind of pain? And, and just one day of sorrow, my, I, I, I am very blessed. I mean, all us brothers would say we were very blessed because our parents just created such a safe home, a safe, godly home. So I didn't experience much pain, and what a blessing. And then getting into my 20s, right, it just really started to come, right? That's what happens when you start to live life. Oh, my word. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it's just one of these things, right? Um, the longer you go in life, all of a sudden, it's not just a day of sorrow or fear. It's, it's like a year. Or it could be a decade. And all the, thing, all the things that you, you just wish would stop, and you're like, they're not going to stop. And, and all of a sudden, when Jesus starts to say, I've got a place for you, that's where our heart starts to go. And that's where it starts to be, oh, Jesus, please don't be... Please don't be jerking me around on this. This better be true. And then the closer you get with Jesus, the more you realize it, it is. Heaven is all about being with him. It's not one big church service. It's about being with him. The one who created the universe, the one who created us and, and, and all that is here, right? I mean, look at the garden. If you want to understand what heaven's like, look at the garden. It's relationship, and it's, it's going, and it's dreaming and doing, and all with Jesus. So if, if heaven to you is kind of distant and that hope doesn't seem real, um, you, might, you might just have to go a little bit longer and lose some things. Skin your knee, as it were fall down and then experience the hope of Christ where he starts to forgive sins and he starts to redeem life and he just starts to come and he just says I'm going to make it better stick with me and that's where hope starts to just grow and that's where a passage like this is just so simple, but it's, oh, it's everything, right? It's heaven. It's, it's just like, go oh, to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back. And then everything, you look around, you go, this, this isn't home. The longer we're here, the more we try to create home, and it's, but it's not home. We still have to move away from home sometimes, and we still have to leave places. Like, even when we left that building to come into here, this building, so many of us said it doesn't feel like home. Why? Because we don't have memories here. We don't have anything with God in this room. And it took us a year or two. And all of a sudden, we wake up and we're like, 
Oh, this is like home. And Jesus says, I've got a home for you. You'll never leave. Your best home here will not touch home with Christ. I'm looking at Doru, who just left a continent, right? Over there in Spain. Like, what is home? Home is where you and Christ are, and those you love. And so Jesus says this. Um, he had just finished this meal. I invite you, if you want to get out your communion. Communion, right? A word for fellowship. Oh, sorry, we forgot to announce that. We got a communion, the cup and the bread in the back there. So Jesus, um, he said something interesting. He said, I'm not going to drink or eat this meal again until I'm with you guys. The Bible talks about it being this meal that he's going to have with those who follow him. It's called the wedding supper of the lamb. He's the lamb of God. And there's going to be a meal and he's going to break bread with us. Again, fellowship. And this is, Jesus said, look, I, I don't want you to ever forget this. And they didn't understand it until after that night, right? Crucified for us. When he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's not like he's going to go start, you know, buying construction materials. Preparing a place for us was going to the cross. I just really hadn't thought about that until this week. That's what he meant. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, well, that all comes through the cross. His body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. His body took the punishment for our sins. His blood, the Old Testament says this over and over again, life is in the blood and if someone has sinned, their life is forfeit in judgment. And Christ comes along and says, I will give my life. I will pour out my blood, not just for one, but for all. And so communion is just that. We have communion with Christ, fellowship with him. And so we, as the church, have forever remembered this, not only what Christ has done, but we also remember what's ahead, that there will one day be a meal with our Savior in his home. So I invite you to take the cup and the bread. Let's eat the I invite you to drink his blood poured out for